Hello to you and welcome to Coin Market Recap on Friday, the 27th of May. I'm Connor Sefton, and on today's show, we've got all the highlights from day one of Coin Market Cap's first ever conference in the metaverse. We'll be hearing what some of the crypto world's biggest names think about the most important issues facing the industry right now. Coming up, Binance's CZ and Kraken's Dan Held give us top tips about surviving in a bear market. And Michael Saylor reveals why he has no regrets despite the value of MicroStrategy's Bitcoin falling by $4 billion. We'll also hear passionate debate about whether altcoins are worthless and whether algorithmic stablecoins should be banished forever after the shocking collapse of UST. Samson Mao admits El Salvador's Bitcoin law could be reversed and explains why it's so important that the country's experiment is successful. He also reveals which countries might be next to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender, which ones aren't, and whether a nation might make an altcoin its official currency instead. CZ and Dan Held were also asked about whether Elon Musk's Twitter takeover is a good idea. We'll find out what they had to say. And I ask Axie Infinity's COO about the devastating $600 million hack that targeted the Ronin network and whether he has a message for the gamers affected. Plus, he reveals why the era of big rewards in play-to-earn games might be over. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at Connor Sefton. Coin Market Recap. Thursday was the first day of Coin Market Caps, the Capital Conference. And if you didn't attend... Where were you? It was a fantastic event, and I've got to say, our shiny new moon base is pretty impressive. We've got a virtual world where you can listen to panels, talk to other attendees, and even have a virtual cocktail. I mean, there's two bars, one if you're feeling bullish, and one for the bears as well. If you do want to come along for Friday's event, please do. You can join us in the metaverse by heading to conference.coinmarketcap.com, pick from three streams on YouTube, or get live updates on our blog. Well, before we get started, a quick look at the markets and things aren't looking good at all. Bitcoin's down 2% and is trading at $29,000 at the time we're recording this and nearly fell below $28,000 at one point. But it's altcoins that are suffering the most. Ether's down 7% and is now worth just $1,800, 64% less than the all-time highs set in November. And Solana, Avalanche and Uniswap have all plunged by more than 10% in the past 24 hours as altcoins take a battering. Well, the bear market dominated discussion during day one of CoinMarketCap's conference. CZ kicked things off by saying that hodling is generally the best strategy for most people, but it's still important for investors to reflect upon how many coins they hold, how diversified their portfolio is, and their appetite to risk. And MicroStrategy, a company that owns 130,000 Bitcoin, is now in the red after riding high during the bull market. I asked Michael Saylor how he feels about that. You said you're in it for the long haul, of course, and you've said recently you firmly believe Bitcoin's going to go to millions of dollars. But I just want to ask you about the here and now, because right now, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin 
has a slight unrealized loss. Whereas a few months ago, you had a paper profit of three, four billion dollars. Zooming in on this and removing the fact of where you think it's going to go. Do you ever look at that and kind of go, oh, my gosh, like we were sitting on four billion dollars of paper profits and that's now gone? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, for Fair example, <laughs> for example, if you'd asked the same question to Jeff Bezos in 2003 and said, you know, like you just had an 80 percent loss in Amazon. Do you ever wish you sold Amazon in the year 2001? Uh huh. Yeah. And you know, I, Jeff I, Bezos I could have sold Amazon in the year 2000 and avoided a 95% loss. Mm -hmm. Do you wish he did? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you see how foolish um, that is? Right? For example, mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, could have also sold Facebook, you know, just before or just after the IPO and avoided a 50% loss. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in fact, Jeff Bezos could have sold Amazon five different times and avoided an 80% loss. And if he'd sold at any one of those five times, he wouldn't be one of the richest people in the world. So, so I, I, I think that, um, that trying to time the market is a trader mentality. But if you look at all the richest people in the world, they're not traders. Crypto winters are never fun, but Kraken's head of growth, Dan Held, believes this bear market might be less severe than the others, especially considering that Bitcoin's latest bull run wasn't too wild. You know, I don't think we're going to see it. We didn't have that big of a blow off top either. We didn't see Bitcoin really hit that peak FOMO moment when it just was. I think you felt that before in 2018 and 2013, this palpable energy of just pure FOMO. Um, and I didn't really feel that this time. It felt like it was accelerating, but it didn't feel like a blow off top. So it makes me feel like there might be a little bit more of a muted bear market. But yeah, in those muted bear market, in whatever bear market we're in, it's about building. And it's about, you know, building that future for the uh, for the ecosystem. Of course, when Bitcoin goes down, there's endless speculation that the crypto world is about to die a gruesome death. But Dan Held says the industry has never been in a stronger position and negative narratives about Bitcoin have always existed. He had a rather uh, unusual analogy. Yeah, I think the criticism that Bitcoin doesn't do anything useful is incredibly uh, misguided. And I think just usually shows someone's um, predisposition to not like something that they don't personally use. While I don't crochet, I certainly don't think crocheting is a is is not valuable. I mean, some people value it and it's all subjective. So that's ultimately where this lies. Enthusiasts often say Bitcoin is perfect. And some can find that hard to believe. After all, surely nothing in this world is completely perfect, right? I put this to Michael Saylor. This is a mischievous question. Is there anything about Bitcoin that you don't like? Only that it's misunderstood by so many people. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but here's one thing many Bitcoiners agree on. Many of the 19,500 cryptocurrencies in existence are worthless, with Michael Saylor describing them as unregistered securities. Decrypt's Dan Roberts asked Dan Held why altcoins annoy early Bitcoiners so much, and he said a lot of this lies in the altcoin boom that happened between 2014 and 2016. Yeah, there's all sorts of different kind of crazy coins, and it, you know, it was some pretty bad projects. I mean, these were pretty garbage projects. <laughs> so back in the day, you know, up in, and even Brian Armstrong tweeted back in 2016, 
we should ignore everything else. Let's just build on top of Bitcoin. He actually has a tweet that says that. So he, even Brian Armstrong, which he's considered, I'd say, very, very uh, more Web3 and, and just crypto, not even Bitcoin at all, even him in, in all the way up through 2016 felt that way. So that, that kind of captures the, the feeling of that moment of back in that day, a lot of that stuff was pretty garbage. I mean, it was pretty bad. And then you had the 2017, 2018 ICO bubble. And let's put it that way. A lot of that stuff wasn't great, great either. So, you You're know, Bitcoiners, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, BitConnect wasn't a good thing to invest in. So, you know, I mean, BitConnect was an open Ponzi scheme that was worth four or five billion dollars which I guess we saw that happen recently with a, a recent blow up. Um, but, you know, when we look at these projects, I think a lot of Bitcoiners were rightfully skeptical. They're like, wait a second, this is like really bad token economics. The founders are really sketchy. Everything I've seen has collapsed. Why would I go invest in this? And, you know, so, so from that era, from like, you know, 2013 all the way through like 2020, they were largely right. Dan Held describes himself as a Bitcoin mostimalist. That's a phrase I haven't heard before. And while he isn't against people buying NFTs or investing their own money however they like, he revealed why he will only ever recommend Bitcoin to his followers. Because you can easily pick another coin that might go up higher than Bitcoin. But as we're seeing in a bear market, they dip harder than Bitcoin. And so what lasts throughout the cycles well, Bitcoin is the the one permanent thing that's been around for the longest time. And there's good reason. Bitcoin solves a big problem of reinventing money and it's the most sound money that we have. So yeah, I I would I'm a Bitcoin mostimalist, but I certainly wouldn't put myself in the in the camp of just rejecting everything to reject everything. Of course, altcoins have had a bit of a PR disaster following the shocking collapse of Luna and UST. CZ says failures are important because projects learn painful lessons. And in UST's case, he says its team didn't do a good job of communicating to investors in a timely manner. Michael Saylor thinks the implosion could be a good thing for Bitcoin because it will accelerate regulation, giving major financial institutions the confidence to get more involved. Explaining how this could help Bitcoin's price reach millions of dollars, he said this. What you've got is a trillion dollar industry that'll become a $10 trillion industry if we have cl regulatory clarity, and then it will become a 20 and then a 30. There's no reason it can't go from a trillion to a hundred trillion, mm -hmm. but you've got to work through these issues. But going back to UST, and should the demise of this algorithmic stablecoin mean they shouldn't have a place in the next generation of DeFi protocols? Well, during a DeFi panel at the Capital Conference, Hisham Khan from the Aldrin platform told me this. Just because the current um, algorithmic stablecoins, not all of them have worked or succeeded, does not mean that there will be nothing in the future I'm definitely rooting for one, and I, I believe a lot of people in DeFi are. Michael Saylor's previously said that the world wants stable coins it can trust, and says right now the market has two extremes. On one side, heavily regulated and totally secure stable coins from the likes of Bank of America don't exist. And on the other side, you have coins like UST that have little backing. Despite all of this, he doesn't believe CBDCs are the answer. <laughs> I don't think there's any consensus or any interest anywhere in the Western world for a central bank digital currency. I don't think the banks want it. It would undermine them. I don't think the population wants it. Uh, the banks would look at it as an encroachment on their business. Like right. Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan don't have a reason to exist, right? So they're not going to want it. 
And I think mm-hmm. that the, the, the consumers and the voters don't want it because they think it's an encroachment on their freedom and their sovereignty. The first day of CoinMarketCap's conference also saw plenty of talk about Elon Musk and Twitter. You might remember that Binance has invested in Musk's deal to buy the social network. CZ says he wants Twitter to become the platform for free speech and that he would like Binance to help the platform make the transition to Web3. Kraken's Dan Hell described Twitter as a phenomenal tool for business and learning and gave his thoughts on the social network's potential new owner. <laughs> then there's Elon Musk, who's like the king of the trolls. He, uh, you know, for him, think about it, he's the most, he's the wealthiest person in the world. He's crushed the aerospace you know, defense contractor industry, which is a hundred years old. He crushed the automobile industry, which is a hundred years old by himself, basically. I mean, not by himself. He had massive teams, but he had that will to go power through it. So what do you go do next? What's fun? Twitter. And so I think Twitter is, <laughs> Twitter is his thing. You know, Twitter is like, he can throw out stuff and, and antagonize different politicians or whomever he feels like it. And so he's got the, he's got the whole world watching and he gets to do whatever he wants. Dan says Twitter is crucial for Elon Musk because it allows him to get his message across without going through journalists. And the billionaire's motivation with this deal might have been to protect his voice. Well, Samson Mao also joined us for a fireside chat about nation-state Bitcoin adoption, chaired by Pete Rizzo from Bitcoin Magazine. Mao, who started his own company as he tries to encourage more countries to embrace Bitcoin, says it's crucial that El Salvador shows the world it can be a good thing to do. There is still a lot of focus on El Salvador. It's not that suddenly we're looking at other places and no one is caring about El Salvador. So I'm still working with El Salvador. Gen3 is working with El Salvador to build digital infrastructure. Um, There's a number of projects that we're kicking off, but um, yeah, nothing has really changed. And I believe El Salvador is a critical part of the equation because they are the first one. They're patient zero and they need to succeed. He also warned that the Bitcoin law could be repealed by a future government in El Salvador if things don't go to plan. I think the key here is that you have to establish prosperity. So how Bitcoin works is not by law or decree or by any centralized control. It is by alignment of incentives. So my thinking is if you can align the incentives long term, so if Bitcoin can bring prosperity to El Salvador, then it's not likely that uh, another government 10 years later is going to repeal the law and ban Bitcoin, right? They'll see what it's done. Bitcoin will be very much ingrained in their society and it'll still be a key component of their economy. And maybe we've already reached hyper-Bitcoinization and you know, everyone in El Salvador has exposure to Bitcoin now and they're very well off, right? He also revealed which country he's focusing on right now. The test is really to see if you can get uh, a nation state that is not um, small or you know struggling financially to adopt Bitcoin. And I believe Mexico is that litmus test to see if you can actually go to a country that is relatively successful and booming and seeing if they will adopt it. And I believe the angle for Mexico is likely, at this point, financial inclusion. Pete Rizzo had a good question. Are there any countries that won't adopt Bitcoin as legal tender? Here's what Mao had to say. I don't know. Europe doesn't look that <laughs> welcoming or promising, but you never know. Like Things can change really on a dime, right? So I would have said there is no hope for Canada. Uh, a year ago, but things have changed, right? Um, people have 
started to understand, start to understand what money is and why things like a central bank digital currency are a bad idea. After the truckers protested and bank accounts were frozen and the emergency act was passed, right? So I believe people in Canada are starting to realize the value proposition of Bitcoin and why it's important. Mao also warned there's always a chance that a country could adopt an altcoin as legal tender. Yeah, I think there are going to be some countries that adopt a shitcoin eventually, and it's just going to be entertainment. But the smart ones are definitely going to look at Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the only one that is decentralized, right? If you adopted some shitcoin or some altcoin, and you find out that it, it's not it's not decentralized and you know it can be shut down you're going to lose a lot of reputation and um yeah i mean there's a every time there is an announcement of some country adopting bitcoin all the shitcoiners flock to that place like uh flies to you know whatever <laughs> to make that analogy right but uh when el salvador announced the bitcoin law you saw all the shitcoiners went there they tried to meet with the president and it's thank, thanks to like Bitcoiners on the ground there that uh, you know they managed to steer steer them away and prevent the president from you know taking a selfie with Doquan or whatever. Right, that would have not been ideal. He went on to raise Luna as an example of a cryptocurrency that looked like a shiny gem when it was actually a polished turd. And talking about the prospect of countries banning Bitcoin, Mao said this isn't easy to do, but bizarrely. He wants other nations to try. China's a, a good example of why you can't really ban Bitcoin. You can try to, but if you, I think if you go too heavy handed on Bitcoin and you try to exert too much control, it can backfire because if you can't enforce the bans or crackdowns, then it kind of shows how strong Bitcoin is, right? And we can see that there's still mining going on in China, even though mining is technically banned. And that's because China's a big country the the politics are are complex too, um, so you know central government edicts don't necessarily make their way down to the the smaller villages and, and to the provinces, right? So it goes to show that there is a a big challenge in order to really ban Bitcoin, um, and I don't think it's a a good look if you try and you fail, right? And I think it'd be interesting to see another country try to crack down on Bitcoin in the same way, because then you'd have another mm. data point that shows Bitcoin can't be banned. So we're, we're always seeing talk of careful, India trying to... Careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> I think banning Bitcoin is the, the best thing, right? It, it really shows the nature of Bitcoin's resilience, right? And let's wrap up by talking about play-to-earn games. I was joined on a panel by Alexander Leonard Larson, the COO of Axie Infinity. And I asked him if he had a message for players affected by the Ronin network attack, where $600 million in crypto was lost in the biggest hack this industry has ever seen. Uh, I would say, uh, just say, hang in there for a little bit longer and then, you know, things will, will normalize. Of course, you know, things will never be the same after such an incident, you know, but, but overall, the team is in a, in a much stronger position, uh, I would say, from an operational standpoint, right? So our focus right now is moving into a zero trust, uh, building a zero trust uh, organization where, you know, we basically have to assume that anyone can get, uh, can get compromised at any time. And I think, Mm -hmm. Given our learnings, hopefully there is a lot to learn also for for the broader crypto uh, industry, right? Because you know it's 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 naive to think that uh, basically North Korea is not here uh, and basically looking at every single project in the space right now. Um, so yeah, definitely mm -hmm. um, focus on security all across the border at the moment.
Well, CZ had made a similar point in his opening speech and said such incidents have a spillover effect, causing investors to get hurt and lose confidence, as well as negative media coverage. During a panel on living in a multi-blockchain world, I asked whether this hack has affected confidence in the bridges being built between networks. Here's what Biconomy co-founder Ahmed Al-Balahi told me. The Ronin hack has definitely sort of sparked extra questions, um, extra doubts, extra thoughts from, from everyone, um, wh- which makes a lot of sense. Um, and But ultimately, what, and, and what's interesting to see is, um, you know, it, at, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, it needs for these hacks to happen so that people actually care about security um, yeah. and care about, you know, these, these um, important points. And so... Um, I, I I thought it would be really big, but it was mm. only within the um, I'd say the crypto ecosystem. Whereas, for example, the Luna thing that happened, right? Um, I was in you know a family event in in the UAE, and mm-hmm. uh, an old fifty year old person talked to me about Luna. Hack. I'm like, well, this has gone mainstream. Well, Alexander Leonard Larson says the play-to-earn industry is changing, and in the future, not everyone may earn as much as they once did. He also revealed that he's pushing for this sector to be known as play and earn instead. Many gamers are critical of NFTs because they believe they suck the fun out of games and make everything about money. But Larson thinks these digital assets are misunderstood and could play a crucial role in helping players get recognition for their achievements. So people are oftentimes confusing NFTs about that it's just like a flipper game. It's much more about building your digital identity, like making sure that your footprint that as you go through different type of games, like you are building that over time and that can, you know, prove to other people that you've actually done what you say you've done. So in this world where everything is fake, blockchain and NFTs, they are the real thing. And I think people will come to realize that in the next coming years. Well, that's it for today's CoinMarket Recap, looking at all the highlights from the first day of our conference in the metaverse. The Capital 2022 continues on Friday. And make sure you catch our streams on YouTube, follow live updates on our website, or join us in our gorgeous virtual world. I'm Connor Sefton. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back with highlights from the second and final day of our event on Saturday's episode. Bye bye for now.